Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This episode is brought to you by Accenture Interactive. Greater experiences start with reimagined consumer experiences. Visit AccentureInteractive.com to see how we're combining creativity, strategy, and technology to make businesses healthier and consumers happier. That's AccentureInteractive.com. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, pop culture, technology, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creativity editor at Adweek. With me, as she is each week, is Sammy Main, our social media editor and co-host of the podcast. Welcome back, Sammy. Hello. Happy to be here always. I've gotten, by the way, this is, I think, I don't know, maybe your third episode or so yeah. as co-host. I've been getting great feedback. Several people oh. have told me that they, they really love having you on the show. Amazing. Thank you, everybody. All three. Three people. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> A multitude of people. Uh-huh, More good. than one told me. <laughs> uh, also... Also back is Marty Swant, a Adweek staff writer covering the technology beat. Marty, we have so much for you to talk about this week. How are you doing? So much. I am doing well after 10 hours of congressional testimony. How are you? <laughs> at least at least you weren't the one actually sitting on the booster seat, like having to answer the questions. <laughs> Fair, but I, I can I use like... a booster seat in this chair right now. Yeah, and I like how people were like, he's sitting on a booster seat, and, and someone commented, that's just his wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. But we will get to Mark Zuckerberg in a minute. Uh, for now, I did want to throw out a quick pitch for those of you who've been listening. Uh, we've gotten a lot of great feedback, especially since winning uh, Best Podcast Award the other day from the Folio Awards. Uh, so really appreciate that. Uh, one thing that uh, we would ask of you, if you've been a longtime listener and have not done this yet, is please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes. Uh, those reviews, uh, they don't take too long. You have to type a little bit. Um, but, um, you know, and be honest, I'm not telling you to leave us a glowing five-star review, although we love those. But it's more just uh, those reviews are how Apple decides, you know, whether to tell people about a podcast that they may not have heard before. So if you haven't gotten a chance to do that, please do. It means a lot to us. And uh, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, at, uh, I'm Griner, G-R-I-N-E-R. Sammy, what are you? Sammy Main, S-A-M-I-M-A-I-N? Nailed it. Nailed it. That's Sammy Main on Twitter. Uh, and Marty, you're probably just Marty Swant, right? <laughs> uh, actually, weird, oddly enough, it's martin.swant at adweek.com. Oh, wait, are we doing emails? That's Sorry. your email. No, you're only, Scratch you're only, that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're only okay. Martin in email. Yeah, just right, Marty but... Swan on Twitter. All right. Well, we love hearing from everybody. So now let's get to the news. Right, so this past week was the Four A's Accelerate Conference, uh, which if you're in the agency marketing world, you might know this one. Uh, Four A's is the 
uh, large trade group that represents ad agencies uh, and marketing agencies. Uh, it, they have a big conference in Miami. What was really interesting about this, and a lot of a lot of cool stuff came out of it. You can see a bunch of coverage on adweek.com. But uh, definitely the biggest talker to come out of it was the 11 survivors of the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida, uh, were on stage. They were on stage. I mean, it was a big stage. They had 11 survivors and I think two other uh, people there, including David Sable, the CEO of YNR, one of the largest agency networks. And uh, we had great coverage from several of our staff who were there. Uh, so very long article that really gets into a lot of the nuance of what they had to say. What was great about this is it was a big opportunity for these students to not just talk to the public, which they obviously have done. These are, They have become the biggest voices in this discussion around gun control and school safety and mental health and all sorts of other issues. And uh, But it was really a chance for them to talk explicitly about what help they want from marketers, uh, from a lot of the people listening to this podcast, you know, whether you're in technology or you're in media. Uh, they really had a range of requests for help of, you know, what they would like to see done. So I'm going to recap some of that. Then we're going to chat a little bit about uh, some of that discussion. Uh, you know, and just to give you perspective, this crowd that they were talking to, uh, we have a number in our story that says that just that group alone helps control 600 billion dollars in ad spending each year. So this is an influential crowd for them to get in front of. They were invited by a group called the Female Quotient, um, which is a group that advocates for equality in the workplace. It was originally going to be this kind of intimate discussion. And I think word got around and everybody's like, wait, we want to talk to them too. Like mm. everybody wants to hear from these folks. Uh, and so it became this stage, you know, on stage, big discussion. And it was definitely kind of like the big hallmark presentation of the uh, of the event. Uh, so let's talk about a few of the things that they brought up, of which there were many. And I had a hard time even pulling out kind of some of the most specific. Uh, but, you know, obviously they would like help with national PSAs and campaigns that help advance some of these discussions. But they got really specific beyond that. One, uh, one student said he wants an app that helps people track politicians' views on, on guns and other issues at the state, federal, and local level. That's a, that's a lot of politicians. But hmm. I can tell you that's super important because a lot of these issues are being decided at the state level and yeah. sometimes even at the local level. Uh, they want uh, help using things like their T-shirts have been a, a big conversation starter, uh, which I thought was a really fascinating point. Uh, they have all these different slogans, and, and it's kind of unique to a lot of the different students of what angle, what conversation they really want to spark. Uh, but they said they want to see how AR can help, uh, you know, turn these physical posters and T-shirts into a video discussion and into a bigger... Because they said people come up to me all the time and ask me, like, what does that shirt mean? What's mm -hmm. that sentence mean? Um and, uh, and just real quick, uh, I've got a quote here from survivor, uh, survivor named Brandon Dacent, uh, who said, In the media, you see people focusing on voting, gun control, and that's pretty much it. I want to hear more solutions, new ideas, uh, such as conflict resolution. And, and so I thought that was really kind of the one of the most salient points is that this is a very complicated and nuanced. It's not one discussion. It is many discussions, and it's not just like, guns, bad. You know, that's, right. like, that is, that's not helpful and, and, at this point. <laughs> yeah. And uh, D David Sable, as I mentioned, the CEO of YNR was on stage. He he commented at one point that like none of these kids are saying repeal the Second Amendment. None of them are. And I say kids. I mean, of course, these are, are uh, adults, uh, you know, at this well, point. These newly are 18. I think just one of them tweeted earlier this week. I can vote. Are you guys going to like now that we can get ready for us? <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. David Hogg, I think it was yesterday. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, David Sable said, like, they're not, t- none of them said, let's repeal the Second Amendment, let's take away people's guns. Like, he was really, uh, he said he was just absolutely impressed with the level of complexity and nuance and specificity uh, that they had. Uh, and so, you know, it, this feels like, I'm curious what you guys think. It feels like a turning point. Like some of these con- some of these introductions, conversations that happened at this 4A's meeting, I think we're going to be hearing about this for months and years to come. Well, that's what I really appreciated about it was that they were trying to keep this momentum going. And it's not even about their own personal fame or like 15 minutes or whatever. They're really trying to start and continue this conversation, which I think is just... I mean, couldn't you just cry thinking about these kids and what they've been forced to do and advocate for? They, like, lived through hell, and now they have to continue talking about it in order to change anything. I think it's incredibly remarkable and very smart of whoever invited them or whoever kind of had that idea to get them in front of ad people and see what they could do. And it it seems like, too, that digital is going to be a place that, you know, we think of PSAs, we think of, oh, here's a video where, you know, it looks like it's about a toy, but it's actually about guns. You know, it's like that's kind of the the thing. And, And David Sable also brought up a point where he said, you know, people make these campaigns all the time. They never think to talk to high school students. Mm. They never think to talk to anyone who's been through this because I think when we think school shootings, we think Newtown, we think kids who are too young. But and the reality is like the kids who went through Newtown are quite, you know, they're getting older. Yeah. And so there is a, a we're reaching this kind of critical mass of, of people who have survived in this era of school shootings in the way that my kids are having to uh, grow up in this. That none of us, even even you know, you two are a little younger than me, but like even you two were kind of on the outer edge of this era and so these, these 17, 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds, they're the first generation to really have lived their entire lives in this, you know, fog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, so Sable said, like, let's actually talk to these people from now on instead of just saying, I've got a great idea. It'll show guns doing this and we'll run these ads all over the world. <laughs> Crazy how that works when you <laughs> ask for people's opinions of who you're actually trying to talk to. <laughs> But I, and I think the, the best benefit that could come out of this is for, you know, the obviously this has become politicized, as all things have. And, and it seems, you know, a lot of people want to paint these uh, activists in a corner as they are liberals, they're agitators, they're in George Soros's pocket or whatever. It's like, you know, no, they have a very complicated and nuanced and unique message. Each one of them probably has a completely different idea. It's mm-hmm. not like they're part of some... You know, uh, completely. Yeah, it's not like a like-minded crowd. Uh, so, anyway, we could talk about this one all day, uh, but I would definitely recommend you know look up uh, Adweek's story on that on the Parkland survivors. If you Google that in Adweek, you will find it. It's a great read. Uh, really appreciate Jameson Fleming, our news editor, who put that together with Lindsay Rittenhouse and Eric Oster, our agency writers. Really fantastic read. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, One other news item I wanted to talk about, just because this feels like it's going to be really relevant as we get to the big discussion today, which is about, spoiler alerts, about Facebook and privacy and the increasing need for privacy in the, you know, in corporations. Uh, Vero is an ad-free and algorithm-free social media app that has blown up. I believe it's got about 4 million users uh, already. And uh, Marty, like I, uh, both of you, I mean, Sammy's obviously our social editor, but have you guys, before we get too into it, have either of you tried out Vero or are you using it? No. Not yet. Nope. 
<laughs> I'm getting tired of all of these dumb spin-off things that all of us forget about in a month, even though this one we say may have promise, but whatever. Oh, <laughs> look at you. Very jaded, <laughs> getting <but> so still. <laughs> old. <laughs> Back in my day, we had just the 16 social media platforms. <laughs> hey, I will have you know, and this is not an exaggeration, this is the literal truth, that when I got onto Twitter or within that first few months, it was like 07, I believe I, I got on Twitter, there were 111 Twitter competitors. That's just Twitter. too many just competitors. Like, what? Yeah, there were 111 uh, microblogging platforms, as they called it back then. Yeah. And oh, no God. one thought Twitter, well, I mean, not no one, but like Twitter did not seem like the one. It was the first, but it did not mm. seem like the best. There right. was, I don't know, Plurk, and there, which was, <laughs> there was, a, you know, several that I'm blanking on the names no, now. No, there that, was a uh, lot. I remember Plurk now that you say that. Yeah, and like there were tons and tons that were better than Twitter that had multimedia integration from day one, and but they just never had the user base. Mm -hmm. You know, that was everything. Um, But Vero, you know, is sounds to me like a pretty typical social platform. It's about sharing content. Uh, But the big change here is they do not have ads. They do not have an algorithm. They do not have any of the stuff they don't target. They, you know, the CEO literally says, we don't know anything about our users, and we don't plan to. Uh, that they, they are going to make their money, A, by charging users, uh, which I think they've been saying from day one they're going to do, but they never have. Right. You know, it's supposed to be the first million we're going to get in free, and then I think it just sounds like they have not gotten their system together uh, well enough to process payments, or, or maybe they just don't want to close the funnel yet. Um, but eventually people will pay to use it. And so they are basically being really upfront that that's our, that's our business model from day one. Well, even if it's not from day one, uh, but they also are looking to make money through e-commerce, I think like letting people sell and buy stuff through there. But, uh, yeah, Marty, what, what's your take on Vero so far? Yeah. You know, to be honest, I, I don't know a lot about it and I haven't tried it yet, but the funny thing is just with all these platforms, scale is so key. And I, and I don't think it's just for advertising, but I mean, where do where do people want to spend their time? I mean, for me, I feel like I just only talk to people on Messenger and you know iMessage, and that's really about it. I mean, in terms of you know actual conversations, not even Snapchat. That's just to use my three D Bitmoji. <laughs> and so, like, the, the, I mean, even Facebook. There's, I think, Rico did a study with somebody recently, even just this week, asking how much would people pay for Facebook. Even I think everyone could argue that Facebook's pretty useful these days. Most of our friends are on it, and I think. Like almost half of the people said they'd only pay like a one to five dollars a month for it, and so if that's for something that's already proven to be useful for connecting people, how are you going to convince somebody that something a lot smaller like Vero? I mean, I'm not going to pay five dollars to talk to two people. So I mean, what else is it going to give me that I can't already get from a from a group message? Blessed release from an algorithm. <laughs> True, that would be nice. <laughs> like it does. I mean, like that sounds very appealing. But yeah, if it, yeah. It, until they have all the people I would need to talk to and basically act like Facebook without being as sneaky as Facebook, that would be the only way I think to really get people over there. Yeah. Well, I think one counterpoint I'd make is that when Twitter came out, not Facebook, Facebook is very much what you're talking about. But when Twitter came out, it wasn't about networking with people you already know. It was about networking with new people. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that's kind of fallen out, right? That's fallen out of fashion. Um, You know, Snapchat was very much about your network. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There are always people who are like hashtag follow back. And, you know, it's like that don't work anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Just saying. But like, (laughs) you know, I do think there's room for, I mean, I I definitely think there's room for a new social application, but I I think uh, there's one 
there, there's room for one where it's more about discovering like-minded people and having conversations with people who you're not already like yeah. exhausted by. Yeah. They're, they, it's like when you go through J school and they're like, make sure you read every newspaper and like, don't watch just one TV news station because you can, you know, you know, the same kinds of people and they'll retweet the same kinds of people and then <laughs> no one learns anything. And then we go through the election cycle we just went through. So I think there's <laughs> definitely a benefit to like reaching out and like, like outer networking. Um, I'm not opposed at all. I'm just saying I don't have the time <laughs> to <laughs> experiment with another platform right now personally. Well, then I've got bad news, Sammy. Oh, it's my job to do that? It's literally your job. <laughs> <laughs> Add a week on Vero starting next week. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, man. Kidding. You know, Got to claim that username. Um, I'll, well, you can uh, check out our story. Uh, I didn't really kind of give the headline here, but basically, we looked at um, answering this question of can this ad-free social media app uh, go mainstream uh, while Facebook is in the you know is under the microscope uh, for these adwords. You may be shocked to learn their CEO says yes. <laughs> But, uh, you know, there's probably a little healthy skepticism there because we all have seen, you know, LO was, was, it gets made fun of, but LO was a viable, it was weird. It was viable. Peach was fun. Yo was weird. I don't know. There's always these cool things. Yo was not viable, but, uh, but, you know, like LO was fine. Um, I enjoyed interacting with kind of different people for a hot minute. And I just had a flash there. forward to like what we were talking about earlier, like 2034 and trying to explain any of these words we're saying to people <laughs> listening then. Like these sound crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's really the opposite. It's like, it's one of those where you, you say something and then you're like, this sentence would have made no sense five years ago. Yeah. Like yeah. one of these <laughs> verbs I just used. I, I want to go back All and right. find a list of those 111 social media platforms that were around when, when Twitter came out now. Yeah, and they, they all had like that classic startup name where like missing the vowels, they were all called like oh. spunked or, you know, <laughs> plank. I don't know. Like I, I wish I could remember <laughs> some of the names because some of them were earnestly really good. Uh, but they, again, they just didn't have it so they either got acquired or shut down um but all right well it is time to move on uh to ads worth watching all right two i wanted to call out uh as being worth your time to check out uh mariah carey who was also in the news this past week for coming forward to talk about uh i didn't i never got to read the story i think it was the cover story in people magazine uh, but talking about the fact that she is bipolar and that she wants to be upfront about that. Uh, but uh, I think that kind of also helped. It was just bizarre timing that that story hit uh, right when she also had a pretty, you know, her biggest ad that I can think of. I, can you guys think of like a Mariah Carey ad? I, in, in my last... head, she did something with Pepsi at some point, but I could have dreamed that. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. There was a time yeah, where like... like Christina and Brittany and like all of them had Pepsi ads. So maybe I'm just thinking of those. Uh, so yes, this is now her biggest <laughs> ad, I guess. Yeah, so so this one, uh, so Mariah Carey did an ad where basically she shows up at a hostel in uh, Barcelona. Uh, is a chain of hostels called Hostel World, and she has been booked there on accident. So her assistant, who is probably I don't know shortly thereafter fired, uh, gets uh, you know books her into Hostel World. Let's listen to the kind of opening dialogue. It's it's about a, I think about a minute and a half long ad. Let's listen to the opening where she uh, shows up. And uh, there is, of course, the, as you would expect, the uh, moment of realization of where she has gone. Richard? Hola, Rita. Maria Carey, he's coming. 
Maria Carey. Who's Maria Carey? Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. Yes. <laughs> Mariah Carey. Yes. Off of Christmas. Yes, yes. She's not coming here. She's here. Right now, come. Oh my God. Welcome to our hostel. Hostel? Yep. Hostel, like it says on the wall. I am so sorry. I, I thought I booked a hotel and I... Shh, she's so pretty. Yeah, I can't do it. Leslie, you booked me in a hostel. If it's any consolation, you look great. I need a beautifully appointed private room in a hotel. Oh, well, we have beautifully appointed private rooms. Fine. You guys, you deal with it, okay? Right. Yeah. Deal with it! So... After, uh, you know, she tours the hostel, she has a mildly uncomfortable run-in with a topless man brushing his teeth in the elevator, as uh, we all have at uh, some of these more. You know, I'll be honest, I don't, I've stayed at some hostel-ish places, but I've never stayed in a hostel. You two seem like hostel people, not, you know, in the sense of the cheap, <laughs> cheap hotels, not hostel isn't angry. But, like, uh, have you guys, have either of you stayed at a hostel? What does that say about me? Um I have. Yeah, and actually, I just stayed at one in Barcelona, funny enough, uh, last month or a month and a half ago. It was like part hotel, part hostel, and so they had their own rooms, which is what I ended up doing, and it was super hip. It felt like an ace hotel, but half the price. But then again, there were a lot of crappy ones. I stayed in one in Puerto Rico that was just a bunch of bunk, bunk beds, and that was like your more your stereotypical hostel. And then, yeah, what is a hostel when you get your own room? Because that's what this ad is about. It's like, oh, we have private rooms. I mean, I'm sure they have shared rooms as well. But like, what defines a hostel at that point? <laughs> like the one you stayed at, what made it a hostel? Great question. Yeah, <laughs> it's very like square rectangle. There's probably like a clear delineation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't know. I guess the, the community aspect. Maybe I feel like a lot of people tout you know people wanting to hang out with strangers because they're traveling around and. And um, so you might have a drink with somebody that you meet in the lobby versus, you know, everyone else. They just kind of come and go and sleep there. That's about it. But mm. Well, Mariah Carey gets on board eventually and does a performance. And to your point, Marty, like they really highlight their um, bar and their kind of dance club uh, that they have downstairs. And she ends up performing while her assistant holds a little cheap desk <laughs> circulating fan to blow her hair back. And obviously we're left with the assumption that she enjoyed her stay there. Uh, this spot was from Lucky Generals, who some of you may remember from creating Amazon. Alexa lost her voice Super Bowl ad. Mm. Uh, so they, they certainly are uh, kind of turning to one of the go-to shops for working with me- mega celebrities, especially ones you don't necessarily see in too many ads like Anthony Hopkins. And yeah, you're seeing Cardi B a bit more, but you know, it's uh, it definitely had a Lucky General's feel to it. Uh, the other ad I want to call out, uh, just mostly so we can listen to it <laughs> a little bit, is the new ad for Monoprix, which is a uh, French retailer, grocer uh, kind of store. Uh, they, they made a ad about the worst song in the world. So I'll give you a quick setup and then we can listen to a little bit of it. It's a young woman walking, uh, walking down the road. And she's listening to some nice little indie track. And then all of a sudden, the next song in the playlist comes up, and it is horrible. It is an <laughs> 80s synth uh, earworm. It's catchy. Uh, I, I look forward to hearing what you guys think of it in a, in a second here. We'll listen to a little bit. Uh, but there, there's this very meta aspect to it where they're asking in the lyrics of the song, why, why 
Why aren't you skipping this song? How did it end up on your playlist? Why is this? A, did your dad log into your account? <laughs> like, there's, some, there's some great lines in the song questioning why she is listening to that song. But that is the entire question of the ad is uh, why isn't she skipping something that she is obviously having to endure painfully through her headphones while walking down the road? But that is the mystery of the ad, which is solved at the end. But let's listen to a little bit of the worst song, worst song in the world. I've had to listen to this song more than almost anybody because <laughs> I edited our story about it. <laughs> you I'm gonna say it. like I came out I came out uh, positive on this. I I think the the chorus is pretty catchy. I don't really need to listen to the part that's in Spanish for no reason again or the saxophone. There's a guitar solo and a saxophone solo. <laughs> Good as it should. <laughs> Uh, this one was from Agency Rosa Park, uh, which I will say, ironically, uh, their last big mono pre-ad, uh, which is called, I believe, Label of Love, came out last year. It's a very sweet coming-of-age love story. Uh, but the soundtrack to that one uh, was a song called 13 by Big Star, the Alex Chilton band. Absolutely gorgeous song. One of the best songs uh, ever, at least in the ad world. Uh, and so it was, to me, kind of ironic that Rosa Parks showing, hey, we can do some of the best music in an ad. <laughs> and the absolute worst. They uh, worked with a composer to make this song. They tried to mash up as many awful uh, you know, kind of uh, 80s cliches as they could into one. But what did you guys think about the song? I mean, I kind of enjoy uh, the whole point of it. It was kind of for like, um, I don't know, I guess I'll give it away. <laughs> uh, but it was saying, you know, the whole point is to get your groceries delivered so that your hands can be more free and you can skip the bad song the next time it comes on. I find this very relatable as a problem. Not that I listen to songs that I hate, uh, or the radio. Uh, but, you know, if you're like listening to an album and you have your favorites and you want to skip to your favorite, but you can't because New York, you don't have free hands ever because the subway is filled with 500 other people who also can't change their songs. I don't know. It's very cute and charming and relatable. And who doesn't love a good 80s throwback? Yeah, you know, what's, what's funny is I, uh, the way I exercise, I don't, I don't like having earbuds when I exercise. Mm -hmm. And so I'll put it on a speaker if I'm, if I'm at home. And, um, uh, it's the exact same situation as I'll put on a playlist and I'll be all excited about it. And then like on the second <laughs> song, I'm just like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> like, actually, I hate this song. Why is it on my Yeah, list? like what, what's wrong with me? Uh, Marty, what, what did you think of it? I could feel it being a good, fun, one-time karaoke song. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you have to be a pretty deep ad nerd to do this at karaoke. That's a good point. I don't think they're going to have that in like K-Town or anything like that. Where my friends and I usually go do karaoke. Um, but I don't know. It's Wait, was that, was that an ad for a karaoke bar? Did you just slip an ad for a karaoke Ooh, bar into our ad? It wasn't for a specific was that an ad? It, there's a thousand <laughs> karaoke bars in K-Town. I say exactly. this as someone who's never been to karaoke or stayed in a hostel. I'm very young and fun. <laughs> 
<laughs> what? Yeah, I'm fine with it. Don't come to me. I'm good. <laughs> I know I mu- my strengths. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, I never did karaoke much until the last year. For some reason, my friends here like love doing karaoke, and I always do Third Eye Blind, Semi Charm Life, or oh boy, <laughs> uh, or various musical songs <laughs> from Rent. <laughs> yeah. I was not ready for that. Marty, Marty, let's unpack that for a minute. So. <laughs> it's just catchy. I have 90, never heard that. 90s song. That's, that, is, I believe, is a song about methamphetamine addiction, isn't it? Yeah, that? which I didn't realize until the first time I did karaoke for it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, look at those words. <laughs> it has, like, exactly. It's like pop-up video. <laughs> yeah. You learn oh, a lot about no. like a song by doing karaoke for it. Gosh, but, that's fun. No, it was a fun, it was a fun spot. Um, it was catchy and kind of creative, I guess. But, um, but I don't know. It's just also kind of just weird. But, I mean, I love... Like to Sammy's point, it's on the subway. I love audiobooks these days because mm. you can just plug it in. You don't have to worry about you know the song switching or whatever, and and hopefully the book's good that you don't have to turn it off or skip anything. But you know, mm-hmm. that was a fun spot. You know, it's a bold choice to make a bad, intentionally bad anything to make an intentionally obnoxious ad. It's a bold choice because you know. People don't need a good reason to not watch an ad. <laughs> <laughs> They're already out the door. <laughs> and so I think that's that's why they walk this line of making one that is earnestly catchy. It's bad in the way that Final Countdown is bad, right? By Europe. Wow. Like, it's bad, but it's Lines have bad. been drawn. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. Like, every song that I refer to as one of the worst songs ever, my sister's always like, uh, you did not think that when we were growing up, and you played <laughs> yeah. it constantly. <laughs> And we we both ran around the house singing it, and I'm Mm. like, "Uh, okay, valid. (laughs) It is time to move on to our big discussion of the week. All right, let's talk privacy. I just let's cue it up by if each of us can introduce yourself and give us your social security number. (laughs) Be a perfect starting point. Uh, The name of your first pet, the mother's maiden name, kind of all that. Yeah, what was that street you grew up on, Sammy? Um, (laughs) So. Privacy. Privacy has been obviously a huge talking point in the last, I mean, in a while, yeah, forever. But like uh, in the last few weeks, Facebook especially, and I think I'm sure you were probably actually tackling our cover story here before the, the, you know, it really hit the fan for Facebook, Marty. But tell us about the fun week that Facebook had last week for those who weren't following along. Yeah, Facebook has had quite the week. So uh, just to do a real brief recap of the last two days, I guess Tuesday and Wednesday of, well, by the time this comes out last week. So, um, so um, Mark Zuckerberg uh, voluntarily um, has, you know, came to Congress and he spoke for five hours on Tuesday with members of the the, the U.S. Senate and then almost five hours on, um, on Wednesday with uh, members of the, the U.S. House. Um, and really just taking questions, four minutes each from dozens and dozens of lawmakers on everything from uh, Facebook's data collection policies, Facebook's you know, business model, um, how it censors content, how it fails to censor content, um, how information is collected. And this all kind of stemmed from about a month ago uh, when uh, Facebook revealed um, ahead of a Guardian and New York Times report that um, that this British analytics firm, uh, Cambridge Analytica, which I'm sure everyone's heard about by now, uh, had uh, allegedly improperly collected data from this personality quiz app um, that 270,000 people had downloaded in 2014. That led to 87 million users having their information uh, collected, anything from the pages you like to um, your 
public profile to sometimes your news feed, and that was uh, potentially used uh, in the U.S. election. Um, the Cambridge Analytica has disputed that. They say that they got their data properly. Facebook says, no, we're kicking off the platform, so it depends on who you believe. But um, that information was used to maybe manipulate voters um, into um, uh, maybe agreeing or disagreeing with certain issues. And um, this this firm has been pretty well known to uh, use these techniques now by now. Yeah, and I, I would say skeptically, and we've talked about this on the podcast yeah. too, like they, it was data that was used for targeting essentially, right? Yes. You know, it's, it's about targeting these people with laser-focused messaging. So Facebook offers that level, of, you know, that type of targeting just built into its platform, but not at the granular level that you can get by having millions and tens of millions of very specific profiles where you can say, I'm going to create a custom audience in Facebook for these exact people, and I'm going to hammer them about immigration and Muslims and whatever I know to be their button point, where obviously Facebook does not have a, a an ad setting that's normally like, this person hates Muslims. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's something you can put together when you have this kind of data. Um, but so that corresponds with our cover story uh, this week, uh, which is about the rise of the chief privacy officer. Uh, and so I'm really interested to hear more about this. Uh, you've, your story has tons of data, um, it, this kind of proving this point of how privacy has become uh, it, it such a major issue for corporations. You mentioned the International Association of Privacy Professionals, which I'm sure listeners know as the IAPP, uh, <laughs> they, uh, that they saw their membership jump. I mean, this is a group that basically had nobody in it uh, 10 years ago uh, to having... 35,000 people this year, up up by 10,000 people over just the last year alone. Uh, and so, it, Marty, uh, it seems like pretty much everywhere you looked, you saw plenty, plenty of evidence that this is a growing trend of privacy protection and professionals becoming a, a really core part of corporate strategy, right? Yeah, totally. And 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 you mentioned earlier, but th- yeah, this story was in the works probably two to three weeks before all this stuff happened with Facebook. So it's one of the things we've just been talking about is how everyone's focused on privacy. You know, maybe hiring their first CPO, or maybe uh, beefing up the privacy team with more staff. Uh, part of this is is due to uh, GDPR in Europe coming down the pipeline. You know, the with uh, their. Uh, large regulation changes happening for how data is collected and used. Uh, but part of this is to deal with a lot of these um, breaches that are you know happening on a regular basis. Um, even just a few weeks ago, Under Armour had one, then Panera Bread had one. Uh, what else? There's There have been a bunch. Um, and so I actually went down to the IPP's uh, privacy summit a couple weeks ago in Washington, D.C., and uh, where 4,000 people were there, and that was the big topic was GDPR. Everyone was wondering, how do you grapple with this? How do you reconcile European law with U.S. law? And uh, it felt like a nightclub in one session because everyone's, you know, there's 20 people waiting to get in. Uh, and so the story just kind of looks at this overarching trend of uh, people you need, wondering. You need to uh, hang out at cooler nightclubs. Man. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> also, me having never been to one, I'm like, oh, totally. I can relate to that experience. <laughs> Totally was relatable. there a bouncer and a rope? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've seen it on TV. Clip I've heard about these. <laughs> For the record, I don't go to nightclubs. I just walk by them all the time in the city. <laughs> it wasn't an accusation of your nightlife. <laughs> it was more a personal reflection on my experiences. Yeah. 
<laughs> we are well, so go to nightclubs, everyone. It's fine. We are so cool. <laughs> Marty, Marty, answer me with this. I've, your story gets into this, but I'm curious how you would describe. Like, there have been positions like chief security officer, of course, chief tech officer, CTO, very common, uh, you know, has had responsibilities. These are the kind of roles that have been, I don't know, the bad guys on Mr. Robot, like the people who try to prevent hackers and data breaches. But how is this position different? What's the difference between a chief privacy officer and a chief security officer? Sure. So uh, the chief security officer, otherwise known as a CISO, um, is often tasked with defending a company or an organization from external uh, threats. So hackers or anyone else is trying to access information. Uh, one way uh, that, that uh, Microsoft's uh, first CPO put it to me, um, he, uh, this guy, uh, um, Richard Purcell, now is his own consulting firm, but he said, you know, uh, chief security officers are meant to protect, uh, you know, companies from external people. And, uh, you know, a chief privacy officer is meant to protect uh, people from the companies. And so uh, really what these CPOs do is they're tasked with creating the policies and how data is collected, how it's used within a company. Um, and they're also, they're, they're a weird combination of their part ethicist dealing with like how should data be used legally, but also morally, how should, um, how can data be used to help a company's goals without maybe invading too much into privacy. Uh, but they also have to be so part lawyer knowing how to comply with existing laws, but also part engineering knowing how does this, how is this information collected in the first place. So uh, a lot of, in a lot of ways, they have probably one of the most horizontal roles in a company. So is is this to that point, is this about that they, these teams are already in place or these operations are already in place at corporations, but they just need more seniority, they need more visibility, they need more funding? Or this is like a, an operation that is largely being built from, from the ground up? Uh, I think it kind of depends. So, I mean, the, the role itself isn't necessarily new. It's been around since you know, the, uh, the 1990s. Uh, there were people that were being hired. But that, back then when the IPP first started, there were probably just like 40 to 50 different CPOs. That, that's how the group started was they were wanting to uh, talk amongst themselves. Uh, but what's changed now is this role has been taken a lot more seriously. Uh, I talked to one um, um, one international, uh, a, a, a CPO for a, for a large international telecom uh, who said that uh, their role is now being taken a lot more seriously. Where before, the the, the CEO or other people in the company would say, oh, "That's a good idea," but like, there's no repercussions, so we're just going to try this this thing anyway. And now they're like, "Oh wow, like we're going to take your opinion seriously because we see that there are big, you know, repercussions for." You know, getting these things wrong. Yeah, and, and we, I think we've even talked about this change in kind of the public perception is that targeting and data. Uh, you know, when I was in the uh, working at an agency, you know, f I guess five plus years ago, there wasn't any concern about public backlash as long as you didn't, you know, expose people's social security numbers and stuff. It was like, oh, they're going to love it because it'll give them more targeted ads. And I think people, I, in fairness, I think people do really like targeted ads versus garbage ads where you're just like, this mm -hmm. has nothing to do with my life. Why am mm -hmm. I being shown this? But it's gotten so overboard. You have a stat in here where you say that IBM says that 90% of the world's data flow was created between in two years, between 2015, 2017. Mm -hmm. So basically, the, it, that's an exponential growth in data over this last few years. And all that data, you know, keeping tabs on it, making sure that it's it's kept in safe and, and not released to, you know, shady consultancies. Uh, that job seems like it's just getting infinitely harder. You can't just say like, yeah, we're good. We got a CTO. He's all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things people are wondering now is how, like with all this data, how do you 
how do you use the the minimum amount and the maximum amount? So like people are starting to do audits of their data, uh, how they collect it, and GDPR is one way that they're able to kind of have this time in in their company's existence to be like, you know, what do we need? What do we need? What do we not need? Because without this law coming down the pipeline, people could just keep pushing this, you know, kicking the can down the road. But now there are going to be like big like legal re- repercussions. So people are finally taking a a check of. We have all this data at our, at our disposal. Um, what do we actually need? Yeah, and and I do think that as we saw with Vero or Vero, you know, the social media app, that I think more companies, more startups, are really going to be positioning themselves as we don't want your private information. Like that's what sets sets us apart from the juggernauts that you're already working with. So you know, that's an appealing message like when every place including your dentist is like asking for your social security number and stuff like it it, it's kind of refreshing to have somebody say hey we're not we're not going to do that now do you believe them Uh, you know or are they going to find some other sketchy way to like (laughs) abuse you and get your money maybe uh but you know it's that's a message that again i think has a lot more appeal because we've all just seen how visceral and how real the, these kinds of misuses of our data and you know every time facebook i i, I don't really have a, a big beef with facebook but like every time it asks me a friendly question about myself, like, hey, you should add this to your profile. And I'm like, I know what you're up to. <laughs> <laughs> See right through that thumbs up. <laughs> the thing is that, I don't know, we've already been freely giving away all of our personal information to all these apps and websites. And like, no one cares. Like, oops, we all got hacked and it all got leaked. No one does anything about it. <laughs> no one knows where that goes or what they're going to use it for next week or next month. Like, no one knows. No one knows anything. We're all dumb cows just, like, <laughs> milling around. Mm, that sounded derogatory against cows. Cows are very friendly creatures. They have best friends. <laughs> what I mean to say is, uh, like, at least, I guess, these regulations or these steps it looks like we're trying to take in reining in how much data we're either collecting or how we're using it. It's kind of comforting in the sense that, like, maybe the entire plot of Wally isn't about to actually happen. Like, I, for a long time, it felt like we were right around the corner <laughs> from just kind of letting big corporations do whatever because we want, you know, free stuff or we want to have the wherewithal to talk with our friends. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of nice that we are trying to rein it in, but I don't know how much it's actually going to change anything. Yeah, well, even on that point of regulation, even just like this week, uh, there was another bill that was introduced in Congress to that has a number of different things dealing with, say, like you know, it's similar to GDPR, but here in the U.S. And people have been trying to pass privacy laws now for a few years. Even just this last week, there was a a, a bill in this in a state bill in Illinois uh, dealing with uh, privacy for facial recognition and how do you mm. protect people's you know more sensitive information like their face and their irises and yeah. uh, and and and, and there have been some reports that Facebook has been lobbying to kind of gut that law too and so on mm-hmm. the one hand they're saying we need privacy on the other hand um, they're actively fighting in some cases against it and that's one of the big questions is like when technology you know innovates faster than laws can catch up with. How are the lawmakers supposed to even know what to rein in and whatnot? Right. There's someone had a tweet this week, and I do forget who it is. I apologize. <laughs> Basically, like, who hasn't made a mistake in a dorm room? <laughs> like, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg did not anticipate all of this spiraling out of control. He just yeah. wanted to rate the women on his campus illegally. So, <laughs> and here we are, folks. Lesson learned. 
<laughs> R.I.P. Face Face Smash. Is that what it was called back then? Ugh, anything bad with any of those yeah. sounds in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad name. <laughs> Not a good name. <laughs> yeah, you know, something Sammy said reminded me that this what I was talking about with the change in public perception is there used to be this kind of shrugging indifference to like Whatever, man, I'm not going to worry about what I say out there because millions of people are posting garbage about what they had for lunch. Like, why does that make me any less uh, safe or, you know, who cares? Who cares? Mm -hmm. And that uh, security guy, I think an IT guy I worked with, and I'm sure this is an expression in their industry, is he said, obscurity is not security. Mm. And that has stuck with me because it's like... And this uh, Reply All uh, did a fantastic series of, uh, about this, I think, called the, what was it called, like the Russian driver or something, or the Russian... Oh, the Uber one? The Russian passenger, yeah, about yes. his uh, about his mm-hmm. Uber getting uh, hacked. And I had that same thing happen to me with my Spotify, no, uh, yeah, my uh, Spotify, Pandora, uh, mm-hmm. where basically... It kept telling, it kept booting me out of my own Pandora and saying like it's being used on a Galaxy device, and I was like, and it was a Galaxy device that's not even <laughs> sold in America, which was a good warning. <laughs> and so I like, <laughs> you know, I it, the first few times it happened, I was just like, what a weird message, but oh yeah. well. And then Pandora kept recommending these stations, where I was like, why the hell would I listen to that? <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then eventually figured out, yeah, someone got a hold of it and was using it overseas uh, because the, the you know the dark web, the you know this like. But, but these breaches become very personal when you find out, oh, yeah, your accounts are sold in bulk and then people just yeah. try your passwords like your pet. They assume your password on whatever, you know, weird site you got breached on. That's probably also your password on Spotify or on Pandora. Or, and as long as you don't have two factor, uh, which on a related note, I now have two factor on everything in my life. Um <laughs> You know, it's uh, so anyway, it's just it's become much more personal in the last few years because you've realized, oh, like I'm not hiding out there in the masses. Like people will just straight up steal my stuff. Uh, So that's a little different from corporate privacy, but not really, because what we're talking about here is the bad things that happen when this privacy is uh, abused, like when Mm -hmm. it's when it's not kept safe. Well, I strongly recommend everyone check out Marty's cover story on the rise of the chief privacy officers. There's so much more that we haven't even gotten time to hit him up at Marty Swant, Marty M-A-R-T-Y-S-W-A-N-T on Twitter uh, and uh, let him know what you think of it. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's all the time we have. Marty, thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. This is fun. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this episode was produced by Anya Fernando. Thank you, Anya. Uh, and edited by Lane McGibbony. Uh, thank you, Lane. Please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us, as I said at the top of the show, uh, and they help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we will be back next week. This episode was brought to you by Accenture Interactive. Accenture Interactive is hyper-focused on offering new connected experiences that flex to accommodate individual needs. See how we're creating greater experiences now at AccentureInteractive.com.